We're continuing our series this morning on um, breakthrough, uh, what's stopping you. And this morning, we're going to talk through a topic that I think is familiar to some. And my guess is that the older you get, the more familiar you get with this particular topic. And that is breaking through disappointment. As we think about the expectations that we have in this world for life, uh, for relationships, for lots of things, certainly um, our expectations are so often not met. And those can be uh, challenges that create barriers for us and make it difficult for us to continue to move forward. And so um, as we look at God's word this morning, from right near the end of the gospel of Luke, we see how Christ breaks through the disappointment of Cleopas and his friend as they walk on the road to Emmaus, and how Christ teaches us how we think about disappointment as well, and places where God is wanting, longing through his Holy Spirit to break through our disappointment and to bring us to a place of new life and new hope. Let's pray together as we prepare to hear God's word and his voice to our hearts. Father, we praise you. We praise you that you meet us. You meet us in the challenges that we face. You meet us in the hard moments. Hard moments when we struggle with just the burden of life the difficulties that sometimes come our way. You meet us, Lord, and remind us of who you are. As we sung already, you are a good, good father. And your presence in our lives has power to bring hope, power to bring life, power to bring encouragement. And Father, it is ours to listen and to hear your words as you speak to us. We pray, Father, this morning as we engage in this story, a familiar one again, from your word to us, that we hear your voice speaking to our hearts in our disappointment, in our discouragement, in our frustration, that, Lord, we can break through, in Jesus' name, to the power of hope and life that is offered to us through your grace and the love of Jesus Christ. We pray these things all in Christ's name. Amen. Again, this morning's story comes from the Gospel of Luke right near the end, chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Again, to lay the foundation for the story, Christ has died. We are on the other side of Easter in this story. And Christ has risen But that word, that news, is just getting out. And it's taking some time for that to happen. As you can well imagine, Jesus has already appeared at the tomb to the women and to the disciples. But these men, these two men on the road to Emmaus, are still sort of struggling with what the impact of that story is and whether or not that story can be believed and trusted. And so they're on this journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, as it says in the text, a journey of about seven miles. And while they're walking, certainly talking and processing what it is that has happened over the previous five, six days, what they have witnessed, what they have heard, what they have seen, and suddenly they get a visitor. 
an incredible visitor that changes their whole journey in a dramatic fashion. Now that same day, two of them, by two of them that means disciples or followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. But they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. I'm going to pause for a moment in our reading. If you were to have had a conversation two and a half years ago with one Jared Lale, a member of this church who is at Humboldt State University now, You would have talked to a young man who had the world by the tail. Those of you who know his story know that he is a young man of great talent, great strength. He's strong like bull, as they might say. He actually just set a record for his school for, I think it was the clean and jerk or the deadlift or something crazy. I think he lifted like 784 pounds. No, it was like 300 pounds. Something ridiculous. Uh, So he's a strong kid, and a healthy kid, especially at that time, two and a half years ago. He was so strong and so healthy that he had been offered a full-ride scholarship to the Air Force Academy in Colorado, something that he had longed for and thought for for years and years and years. In fact, when I first moved here a number of years ago, uh, and we talked and we met with the Lales and became friends with them and talked with Jared, it was one thing that he often talked about, this dream that he had of going to the Air Force Academy and playing football and ultimately becoming a commissioned officer and living a life in the Air Force after graduation. But those of you who know the story know that there was an awfully hard left turn in it. About five or six days after enrolling at the Air Force Academy, Vaughn and Chris got a phone call from their son who was in tears. In tears because his coach had basically said to him, because of a particular issue that you have in your feet, his feet, something important to football, You, according to Department of Defense regulations, 
can no longer be enrolled at the Air Force Academy and we have to release you, not only from football, but from your dream. I spoke with Jared about two weeks later when he finally got home after being discharged and going through the process. And he was a young man who was broken, a young man who was hurting, a young man who wasn't sure what he was supposed to do. He figured some stuff out, worked through a process of, of looking here, looking there. And finally, another school came knocking and said, we're not so concerned about your feet. We would love for you to come and play football at our school, Humboldt State University. He had not had any of his eligibility gone, so he still had another four years. He could go to the school in Northern California and do well there. Last year was a fairly good year. If you were to talk to Jared, he slowly had the opportunity to make his way into the starting lineup. It wasn't all that he had hoped. It wasn't as much fun or as much good things as he had thought it was going to be, but he was really excited about this year. And then, I think it was about three weeks ago, his family put a Facebook post out. Many of you might have received that. Come to Azusa Pacific University. Jared's playing there. It's going to be exciting to watch this young man who had his dreams dashed be able to play well in front of all of his family and friends. I think it was in the first series of the game, certainly the first quarter, Jared went down again with an MCL injury in front of his friends and family. There was talk of it being ruptured. There was talk of it being at least season ending. And again, when you talked with him, when you talked with the family, dreams crushed. He was going to be a football player. He was going to graduate from Humboldt having been made his place in football. But the disappointment comes. Now, if you talk with Chris a little later this morning, you're going to hear that there's hope. He was able to make his way onto the field yesterday. I don't think he played, but at least he suited up. And when I talked to him, Jared, this week, I certainly heard a note of optimism. But when I think about Jared's story, although it's different than mine in terms of its topic, it's different than ours in terms of maybe its impact and some of the consequences that it might have in our lives, it's certainly one of those things that we are familiar with. Disappointment is part of life. We deal with expectations that we have about whatever it is. Relationships, marriage, children, parents, jobs, vocation, studies, whatever. And we all know that if we had the perfect life, we'd never deal with, pers- with disappointment. But how many of you have had the perfect life? Disappointment is a very real thing in all of our worlds. And when we look at our text this morning about Cleopas and his friend, this journey that they're making seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus is one in which their hearts almost are so heavy that they can't pick up their feet. I was thinking about it. How long would it take to journey seven miles in a walk? Well, if you're going about four miles an hour, which is a pretty healthy, brisk pace, you would be able to do it in just about two hours. Not unrealistic at all for this journey. But my guess is they didn't start out at four miles an hour. Because when your heart is heavy, your body feels it. I can imagine them almost trudging along at this speed, discussing the loss that they'd felt over the death of their hero, Jesus. 
Now again, we have a picture in our mind of how this might look. We think this journey is like two men alone on a road, on a vacant, lonely road, journeying from Jerusalem to Emmaus. I can guarantee you that that's not what happened. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because Jerusalem had just gone through a very busy time. What had happened during Jesus' crucifixion? They had had the... Passover. Well, when you come to Jerusalem for Passover, which you would as a pilgrimage, you got to get home. And when do you go home? Sometime after the Passover. This is within two days, three days of the Passover. And there are people who would have, just like you do, you go to an event, a wedding with a family or with some friends, and you go to that event, but you maybe stay for a couple days afterwards so you can hang out with people that you care about. That's probably what happened here. So it's very real that this this road is packed. It's not like they would all of a sudden be two men who were uh, intersecting with the one other person on the road. This is probably a crowded place. And Emmaus is certainly one of those villages that would have been either a destination for some or on the way for others. So they're probably on this road with hundreds of other people. So for someone to walk along with them would not be startling at all. They wouldn't all of a sudden notice him. It's certainly something when we say, how did they not recognize Jesus? Well, Jesus is one person in a sea of faces. He's not just on his own. You can almost imagine in a crowded place with a whole lot of people journeying. Jesus is like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, yeah, uh-huh. Because there's so many people around him. And Jesus says, well, what's going on? What's happening? Why are you walking so slowly? Why do you look like your cat died? Well, here's why. Here's why. You don't know about this? You've been in the city? Everyone's been talking about it and you don't know about it? So picture that sort of interaction in your mind when you think of this story and not this lonely road with only three people on it. Now think too about Cleopas and his friend. Why were they leaving Jerusalem? I mean, all this stuff had been going on and Jesus had been sort of leading to the climax of his ministry. He's going to come into Jerusalem and he's going to be crowned king. They'd seen that a week ago in the triumphal entry. These guys had been witnesses to this great rise to power of Jesus. And if this great rise of power is something that's going on, you don't leave. You're not taken off. You want to witness everything that happens. They're leaving because hope is gone. The story is over in their mind. Everything is done. Jesus is dead. And if Jesus is dead, there's nothing to keep us here. We're just going to go home now. We're going to leave. We're going to go back to our life Now they hear these stories that are going on and they're confused about them. What does it mean Jesus has written? Well, these are women. Can you really trust the word of women? And when the disciples went, they didn't even see them. They didn't even get clarity. And we don't know the story. We don't understand. But man, it would have to be absolutely miraculous for this story to go on. It's over. And we can't hope again. We're done. 
The key to their feelings and understanding them is in verse 21. And there it says this. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They put all their eggs in the basket. This is what is going to happen. This is how it's going to be. We as Jews will no longer be oppressed. We as Jews will have life and hope. There will be victory ahead. But then they watch from a distance on Golgotha and see Jesus die. And he breathes his last and the earthquake happens. And it's over. And broken hope when it happens is hard stuff. And we know that. You know that. And it could happen in a lot of different places. Maybe it's happened to you in relationships. Friendships that went south. And people that you depended on and felt loved by maybe betrayed you, stabbed you in the back. Maybe they just moved on, got new friends, moved to a different place, and left you standing on your own. Maybe instead it's a job that didn't go right. You thought, this job is going to make my life better. This money is going to be a good thing. This vocation that I'm moving for is going to help me feel that sense of purpose and hope. And you realize really quickly that that cubicle that you are working in is more of a jail than it is life-giving. Or the occupation that you thought was going to do everything for you really is not what you were supposed to do to begin with. And you're not sure what you're supposed to do now. Marriage can certainly be a place of disappointment. We look to this for the young part of our lives as being sort of the ultimate in life-giving relationship. Our marriage will make us feel whole. Our marriage will fill us with joy and with life and with happiness all the days of our life. Has anyone experienced that sort of marriage All the days of your life have been perfect? Of course not. We know what it is like to have our spouse sometimes lie to us. Sometimes not do what they say they're going to do. We have have heard hurtful words from our spouse. Maybe what we thought our spouse was going to become has never been really met. And that dream of our spouse becoming this sort of person, this sort of husband, this sort of wife, that dream has been dashed. Or kids. Kids can be a place of disappointment. Because think about it. Don't we all have dreams for our kids? Those of you who are parents who had little kids up here, don't you have hopes and dreams for what it is they will become? You, you long to see them flourish. You long to see them grow into the gifts that they have been given by God. You long to see them have healthy relationships and marriages and children perhaps someday. You long to see them become the people that you hope and pray they will be. Yet I sit and talk with parents and grandparents who talk about children who've walked away from God or kids who've gotten into addiction or kids who've made foolish decisions that have ended up causing consequences that have brought great pain. Kids can be a source of great disappointment, a great joy certainly, but also great disappointment. And in fact, 
most parents who I've talked to who've had that sort of frustration with their children have felt the most pain of almost any people that I've ever spoken with. Stuff can happen in a lot of places and when it does happen, it can hazard our faith, right? Because we wonder, is God real? Is God real in my vocational life, in my relationships, in my marriage life? Is God real? And when we wonder that, we begin to wonder, should we keep following him? Is this it? I'd hope for more. Now what am I supposed to do? That's what Cleopas and his friend were doing. What are we supposed to do? There's nothing left for us in Jerusalem. We're just going to leave. What are we leaving? What are we giving up because of our disappointment? Do we ask the question, what happens now? I'll never forget, this was about 15 years ago, when this tragedy happened in the community that I was a part of and it rattled a lot of people. It was a a very similar community to ours in that a lot of people were having young children, a lot of people were having babies, lots of young children in the community, lots of babies around. And there was a particular family, they had two kids already, they were uh, anticipating the birth of the third, third came, Caleb was born. Caleb was healthy. Caleb was flourishing. This was one of those families that when, when um, a child was born, the whole family, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, gathered around. It was a celebration. Everything was good. Everything was perfect with this child. Mom was recovering well. And then 54 days later, Kristen and I were actually at a Christian camp with our family when I received a phone call from the lead pastor of the church. And he said to me, Things are tough. Last night at three o'clock, Caleb began to cry in his bed. And his father went and scooped him up in his arms, as fathers do, and sometimes when kids cry, or mothers certainly do, well, his father took his son and he took him out into the living room and tried to calm him and fed him and changed him and all that stuff. And Caleb continued to cry, a painful cry. One of those cries that just doesn't stop, piercing. And I remember talking to the dad and he said, I just turned on the television and was watching a movie with the sound down, but I couldn't hear anything. And there's a part of me that several times said, Caleb, can't you just stop crying? Why doesn't this stop? And finally at 7 a.m. the next morning, they took Caleb to the ER found out that viral meningitis had invaded his body and within an hour they declared him brain dead and within three hours Caleb was gone. You want to see a father sit in disappointment. There's a man. He sat there literally for hours in his home wondering if he would have turned off the blasted movie and taken his kid to the hospital, would that have changed stuff? They thought to themselves, he was acting a little bit different yesterday. What would have happened if we would have gotten help? 
Why didn't we notice? Why would God do this? I remember talking to the dad about a year later and he said, I can remember going into my house and he was uh, a person who lived on a farm and so they had guns in the home for various things around their farm. He said, I would load up every piece of armament that I have, take it out to the back of my farm and find something that I could blow up because I was so angry. I wanted, I, I wanted something else to hurt like I hurt. Everything stopped for this family. In fact, if you talk to them, about a year and a half later, they had another child And the mom once said to me, it took me two years to be a mother to that child because my whole life had shut down still for that long. What do we do in those places when it comes? And some of you know that sort of pain and hurt specifically. Some of you know pain and hurt and disappointment similar to that. You have dreams for things. You have hopes for things. But sometimes those hopes that you have cry in your lap at 3 o'clock in the morning and the next day are gone. What do we do? How do we stop that disappointment, that hurt, that pain from governing us and shaping and forming every single moment of the rest of our lives? And as we look back at the text, we see Jesus speaks words of hope into these men. And he speaks words of hope to us. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on their way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You hear this story and you hear the power of Christ speaking hope into disappointment. These guys had lost their dreams. Their expectations weren't met met until now. Now, we look at the story and certainly we see Christ has risen and that's victory and that's hope in and of itself. But there's more going on here. Death was beaten and the disciples could hope again, but ask the question, why? 
Why in the world did Jesus not do this spontaneous appearance to them on the road in the same way he had done it to the ladies who had come to the tomb? In the same way he had done to the done to the disciples. Why didn't he just all of a sudden stand at a curve in the road, stand there and say, behold, I am Jesus. I am risen. Hope again. He could have, but he didn't. Instead, he led them through perhaps two hours Two hours of, of sort of drawing them along, moving them, moving along with them, showing them himself how in the text. He showed them over and over again, folks, listen, I'm as real now as I was then. And then is not five days ago. Then is 500 years ago. Then is a thousand years ago. And I am that same God and I will always be that God. In showing them the word, in showing them the truth, Christ was saying to Cleopas and to his friend, here is the key to keeping disappointment at bay and living into hope. And that key is remember. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember his promises. Remember everything he said about himself being with you. The memory of that is what brings hope. Certainly, the pain of disappointment doesn't necessarily leave us. Certainly, the struggle of trying to live day to day when death has come and captured a loved one, when sickness has come and stolen from us, when a marriage and those expectations have not been met, when our children have broken us, those sorts of things don't go away. Those sorts of pains stay with us. But to live out of that pain and into hope, we need to be mindful that the same God who was there before when things were good is the same God who is with us now and he will continue to walk with us. He will continue to be present with us. He did it before. He will continue to do it again. And I can trust that the God who never changes will never, ever give up on me. God, who never changes, will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never let me go. The end of Matthew, even I am with you always to the very end of the age. You and I, we camp out in the world of disappointment. It's the world that we live in. It's the existence that we have. How do we not allow that disappointment to govern us? Remember who God is. You've known. At some point I've known his grace and his love and his power to redeem me. I've known his power to come in and cleanse me from that pain. And remove it from me if only for a moment. And fill me instead with his spirit. And I can trust that he will continue to do that always. When we think about our disappointment... Remember always that God's love for you has never changed. The creator of the universe is still your number one fan. 
that in your brain. That phrase, God is always for me. Christ is always for me. The Spirit is always for me. And in those moments of disappointment when you feel like things have been lost, speak that truth into your life. God is always for me. Christ is always for me. The Spirit is always for me. I can know his love forever. And that is true even if you do not know Jesus. God is for you. He may just show up a little bit differently. He may take out the crutches in your life, the crutches of addiction, the crutches of your foolishness, the crutches of of your brokenness and your sin. He may take those things away and so you are left with nothing. And that's his love for you saying, I am the something that you need. That's how much God is for us. Our breakthrough comes in disappointment as we remember God's love for us and accept it regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the death you've known, the sickness you've known, the loss that you've known. Remember always that God's love is for you in Jesus Christ. And his love, because it is always present, brings stuff with it, comfort, hope, and meaning. Your life always has meaning. Why? How do you know that? When you feel like you've lost anything, everything, and you feel like you don't know what direction to go because Christ's love by its very presence in your life brings meaning. You never have no purpose. Yes, I know that's a double negative, but it still works. You always have a purpose in the love of God. And these things... These things, comfort, hope, and meaning, are far greater than your disappointment. There was a a young woman who, she actually used to live here a long time ago. You might remember her name as Val Wigboldy. Val Wigboldy was a teacher at Redlands Christian. I got to know Val very closely when she moved up to where I lived in Visalia. And if you know Val's story at all, you know that Val is perhaps one of the most likable people that you've ever met. She's the sort of person that when she comes into a room with her smile and with her joy, she just fills it. She fills it with life and it's beautiful to watch if you know this this woman. But one thing had happened in Val's life that was a very deep struggle for her. Val, at the time that I got to know her, was 31, 32, something like that. And Val was single. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but to Val, it was a huge deal. Val wanted marriage. She longed for marriage. She prayed for marriage. She believed very strongly that God had called her to someday be the mother of children, to be the wife of a husband, and to, as a family, flourish in God's kingdom. But it just never seemed to happen. Over and over, it didn't happen. Of course, every single mom and grandma in the church had set her up with every single grandson or son that they could possibly imagine that might work, and it never took. 
which amazed everyone because Val was just such an ex- is just such an exceptional woman. Pause. Different story. So there's this young woman in Willard, Ohio. This young woman comes from a great Christian family, lovely Christian home. Everyone does everything right in that context. It just seems that everything goes perfect. But this young woman decides to do what sometimes teenagers do and rebel against her family. She rebels against her family and she ends up shacking up with a guy who ends up to be a drug dealer. And she gets pregnant by him. And becoming pregnant by him helped put some light bulbs on for her. And so she left a lot of that rebellion. But the consequences to her rebellion, of course, she carried to term. And her child was born into the home of her and her parents. And God be praised, he did some great work in this young woman's life. And called her to obedience and to hope and to joy and to a lot of good things. And as a result of that, she ended up meeting a man in the community, a great Christian man. And she ended up marrying him, and they too had another child together. They became a family of four. So her child had ended up being, uh, uh, the first child had ended up being fathered by one man, and then she had a second child with another man. He was now the birth father of the second child and the adoptive father of the first. Following me here, it gets complex. Then she gets a phone call from her doctor. The last exam had shown it. The biopsy was clear. Brain cancer. Three months to live. And it's actually two months. And she ends up dying. So now this incredible Christian man who had married this woman who had shown God's redemption, the disappointment of the family experiencing a a son birthed out of wedlock, and then the disappointment of this woman ending up dying of brain cancer, there's this man standing with two children left, one that he's birthed, one that he's adopted. And Val comes into the picture. And she meets this man through some mutual friends. And all of a sudden, this woman's life, who had been full of disappointment and frustration, meets the life of a man whose life had been full of pain and disappointment. And God brings them together. And I was present. It was before I was ordained, so I never got the privilege of announcing them husband and wife. But I was present and officiated the first part of their marriage ceremony. They had their anniversary this week. I can tell you that that was perhaps one of the most celebrative ceremonies that I have ever been a part of for one very clear reason. Because in the story of this woman who had had a child and died of brain cancer after marrying this man and having another child and Val in her singleness in all of that bringing together what was celebrated. A marriage? Yes. But much more so. God's faithfulness was celebrated. As we stood there, as we bore witness to what God was doing, we could proclaim with no other voice except this. 
God is faithful for his children. He loves them and he never lets them go. No matter the pain of a broken young woman who rebels against everything good. No matter the pain of a single woman who longs to be married and the expectation never, never seems to be met. The pain of a man who watches his wife, young wife, die of cancer. That in all of those things and so many more, God shows up and shows his love to his people because that's the kind of God that he is. And it never changes. It never changed in the Old Testament. In thousands of years of writing of God's faithfulness, it never changed in the New Testament. Even after Christ declared, it is finished. It never changed. And the church was built. And hope comes. And hope comes to you and me. That's the God we believe in. Yes, disappointment brings pain. We know that pain. It doesn't just disappear. But what does appear always is God's love and God's grace. And that's his work. It is ours to listen. Listen and remember his voice. That's our breakthrough. Listen to God declare to you today. I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I will never let you go. Would you pray with me? May we always remember, O Lord God. May our memories, memories be sharpened to your grace and love. May our memory always be tuned to how you are for us. You have always been and you will always be. Living God, may we remember and then may we listen to how you speak that hope, never changing hope into our lives today. Amen.